may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right. Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, Strength to Strength. It's great to see all of you who have joined, and uh, we're excited this morning to launch into another um, topic um, to do with the kingdom of God, and this is on building healthy church culture by Brother Bill, and uh, we're glad that you have joined us this morning to uh, share what you have and uh, some thoughts and uh, insights that you have gained. So uh, at Strength to Strength, it's a virtual and live meeting held every other week by Zoom, and all are welcome to participate. And the purpose of Strength to Strength is to advance Jesus' kingdom by tackling thought-provoking topics and by stimulating candid discussions and by sharing faith-building testimonies. So we're doing that again this morning by uh, having some thought-provoking subject here and uh, discussing it. Um, we uh, will begin here with prayer, and then I'll turn the time over to you, Bill. And uh, af after he's done with his session, we'll have a time of question question and answer period that will open it up for everyone. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, day again, another opportunity to uh, glorify your name and to um, look into a subject here together and uh, discuss the uh, subject of church culture. Be with uh, Brother Bill as he leads out. Give him uh, grace and strength and uh, give him uh, courage as he as he shares with us. And uh, may the, this time, again, be a, another time of blessing and encouragement and, and stimulation for the mind as we, as we think of areas to, to grow and improve in, in uh, being your hands and feet on earth, and especially as we do it together as your body, as uh, believers um, united together for one cause, to glorify your name and to extend the good news to the far corners of the earth and to be a representation of, of what the world should look like here in the communities we serve in um, bringing a piece of heaven to earth. Lord, we know we often get this wrong and we have our struggles in church life and we so often get focused on the wrong things. Help us, Lord, to overcome this and to be more like you in how we relate to life. Guide and direct us this morning and bless our time here together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, brother, just uh, go for it. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> and uh, I'm excited to be able to share here this morning. Um, whenever I see a topic, I always wonder, well, what does this person know about this? Why? Where did, where did their information come from? Um, why are they talking about it? And... Uh, so this morning, I am not talking so much as someone who knows all about how to do this, but one who is learning. I'm actually probably going to share as much um, things that I've been being taught, things I've been uh, learning, um, probably more of a spokesperson for our brotherhood. Um, you know, the church is the light of the world. The, uh, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And if, if church has the same problems as the world has, 
Um, as Jesus said, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And um, probably all of us can relate to some extent to that feeling of just hopelessness and despair when there's when church is is a place of of turmoil and trouble. Um, so uh, th there's uh, the the things that I'm sharing today are not anything that's copyrighted by us or that's owned by us, but things that we've been learning as we as we try to work out following Jesus that have, have made a difference. And um, so the, the topic description, um, you know, often when we, when we think about culture, we think about uh, discussions centering around clothing, vehicles, lifestyle issues, technology, you know, maybe uh, our worship services, um, music, things like that. And those are those are important um, subjects. The problem is, is, is Jesus and the apostles don't spell out a lot of those details. And uh, so this morning, I'm not going to talk so much about those kind of aspects of culture, but um, but the things that Jesus and his apostles do teach us about the uh, the nature of our relating together that it provides the seedbed or provides a foundation, the root for those things then to be able to um, be handled uh, constructively. As I was thinking about this, my mind went to the, uh, the term that was mockingly used for World War I, um, the war to end all wars. And uh, so in many ways, what Jesus teaches us is not the details of culture, but the culture to unite all cultures, the culture through, from which all other cultures spring. Um, so we want to look at some, the, some, uh, some missing pieces, um, from my journey, uh, that I've noticed in myself and in, in some of the groups I've been part of. And, uh, and then also some things that we as a brotherhood have been, um, finding helpful and bringing unity and bringing change. That's probably one of the big things we want to look at this morning is, is a culture of change of really being able to change people. Uh, being uh, growing as a group, and uh, often there's kind of a dichotomy between, um, you know, being patient and long suffering and things like that, and uh, and hoping for things to get better, and cracking down and and driving people away, laying down the law, etc. So. Uh, the topic is going to kind of be in two pieces. One is missing pieces, things that often uh, we're lacking, we're, we're, we're not following, and that's why we have problems in working out church culture and some of the other areas. And then some, some lessons um, that we as a brotherhood have been learning that have been helpful to us and hopefully can be helpful to others. A uh, couple of things to, uh, to start out here, um, just some 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 guiding concepts through the, the talk this morning. One is be aware of the false dichotomy. So um, I have I have been part of about 12 different Anabaptist communities um, since I was eight years old and we left the independent fundamental Baptists. And um, uh, I've heard a lot of things taken a lot of different ways. So this morning, I'm going to try my best to communicate clearly, but um, please be careful. Not don't don't take what I say and jump in the extreme. We want to look at um, the things that Jesus teaches us that provide a third way between the extremes of legalism or 
libertarianism um, and and uh, things like that. The uh, the extremes between leniency and uh, and being heavy handed and authoritarian. Um, another one is uh, the Kiss principle. Um, that's often uh, secularly uh, stands for keep it simple, stupid. I rephrased that to be more respectful and said, uh, keep it simple, saints. And I am becoming more and more convinced that the answers to our biggest struggles as individuals and as churches lies in a very simple, straightforward obedience to some very simple, straightforward things that Jesus tells us. Um, part of this is because Jesus comes and he says his, his gospel is not to the to the uh, to the complex or to the uh, the educated. Um, it's a gospel to the simple. It's the people who are not uh, going to take things and and beat around the bush about it, but are going to take things in a simple, straightforward way and are willing to be honest. And uh, and there's such a mystery. We're familiar, probably most of us listening to this with the concept of the upside down kingdom. Uh, how when you when you try to seek to find your life, when you try to um, create security, you lose it. And when you choose to lose it in order to follow Jesus way, what appears to be a loss actually ends up being your gain. And um, the things I'm going to talk about this morning are exactly the same way. There's so often these things that looks like, well, if I do that, I, I'm, there's no way I'm going to this is going to work. And um, and it's actually the opposite. It's actually when we do those simple things, all kinds of other things begin to fall in place begin to get fixed because the power of God enters in as we obey. And lastly, um, G.K. Chesterton's words, I think, are so profound. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so this morning, I would like to encourage us each to, to go back to the Christian ideal that Jesus and his apostles teach and display and um, be willing to do the difficult work of simple obedience that will bring about um, a tremendous change. Um, so just a little bit starting out here. Get my seat adjusted a little better. Um, how culture is created. So you know, there's all kinds of discussions about this and culture is a very deep and complex thing. Um, so there's probably a lot more could be said about this, but as I thought about this, I'll listen to different things. I think there's kind of three steps to creating culture. Um, one is obviously you have values. Everyone has values, whether they know it or think it, whether it's intentional or not, some people's values to try to not have values and, uh, those of you who lived through the the fifties and six or the sixties um, and seventies um, know what that created. It's a culture we call the hippie culture. So you, all of us have values. So we create culture when we communicate our values, and then we create a plan to incarnate our values. Um, incarnate just simply means to make them a physical reality. Um, and then you lead out in incarnating your values and in, in making them a reality, a physical reality. So you communicate your values you create a plan to incarnate, to make a physical reality out of your values. And then you lead out in practicing that. 
So first of all, I'd like to think a little bit about our values, our mentality, how we think about different things when in the subject of church. So first of all, what do you think about when you think of Jesus? Um, why did who was Jesus? Why, why did he why did he come? What was his purpose? What was his mission here? Um, I think this makes a huge difference as we think about churches and building churches, um, creating a church culture. Um, do we view Jesus primarily as a paycheck to pay off our sin so that we don't need to suffer for an eternity? Or do we view him as the true human? Um, he uses that term, the human one or the son of man, uh, the one who comes as a second Adam to demonstrate the way that we were intended to live, the one who um, overcame the power of death because he always honored his father um, as Adam should have done. And that through his, through following his way of life, we also partake of that same power uh, that brought about the resurrection. Um, Peter says there in Acts 2, it was not possible that death um, could, could hold him because um, using Jesus' words, uh, there in the end of, I think it's John 16, he says, uh, the prince of this world is coming and has nothing in him. He had never given him any foothold. So do we view Jesus as coming to begin a revolution of true humanness, of um, bringing a restoration of freedom from sin to our old master, um, Satan, sin that we've sold ourselves to and we reap death from? That's going to shape what we think of when we think of following him. When we think of obedience, um, what do we think of? Is it our way that we keep on the straight and narrow, that we don't lose our ticket to heaven? Or is it a way that we join our Heavenly Father as dear children in creating a family uh, that is like him, following um, our elder brother, King Jesus, and restoring humanity and bringing the rule of the heavens uh, back to earth again? And so then church, um, how do we, we think about church? Um, is this a uh, like an accountability, like a, a, a accountability group, a HEP rally to, to keep us on the straight and narrow um, so we can all get whisked out of here as soon as possible? Um, or do we view this as a, a renewed human family um, whose purpose is to work together and, and to demonstrate the, the unity of the Trinity um, as we model um, God's way of living um, here on earth as humans. Um, Jesus came to purchase and to prepare for himself a bride. Um, Jesus didn't come to train a bunch of lone rangers. Um, he didn't come to, to uh, purify for himself um, several million brides, but one bride. And uh, so do we view church as a, the, our purpose is to, to, to corporately, to, to together um, demonstrate God's way of living. Um, these are going to make big, big differences in how we go about um, creating church culture, what our values are um, that we are trying to incarnate. And so then church culture, when you think about church culture, what do you think about? You think about mainly about um, certain style of dress, you think of safety from worldly influence. Do you think about things like humility, um, confession, um, fellowship, spending time together, 
um, being each other's social life. Um, how is that reflected then in the times that you're together? How much time do you spend together in fellowship of interacting and getting to know each other uh, on a human, human level, as well as on a spiritual level? Um, how much of the time is simply sitting there just listening to teaching? How much do you interact and know each other as people? How much do you do together as a community? <clears throat> and then moving on one more step from that is then uh, the methods for creating culture. Then how, what, what, what do you think about when you think about creating culture? How are you going to go about making that happen, incarnating, uh, bringing into a fleshly reality? a physical reality, uh, the values that we have, the ideas you have about Jesus and obedience to him and the church as a group. And uh, to kick that discussion off, I'm going to share my screen here for a second. Um, hopefully you can see that it's a silhouette of a man and a woman with their backs to each other. And each of them have a thought bubble coming from their heads. Um, and each of them are asking, the man is asking, how can I make my wife dot, dot, dot. And the wife is asking, how do I make my husband dot, dot, dot. I'm not married. Um, I have had the privilege of watching uh, marriages for the last however many years. And uh, everybody that has a marriage that's uh, halfway as respectable and many that, even that don't uh, will look at this and tell me that uh, that's just it's the wrong question. You can't do it. When you try to change the other person, you actually make the problem worse. And the best way to change the other person is to change yourself, to become a person that is contributing to the relationship what it ought. Um, I think I'm starting out with this because these are not necessarily um equal but i think it's very clear in this in this setting um how we go about creating a culture so i'm going to step one step further here is my screen still shared um so now we have a pastor standing at his pulpit thinking to himself how do i make my people dot, dot, dot. And um, for some reason, often when we get to this point, we think that somehow we can make people do stuff. We can yell at them loud enough when we preach. We can um, make enough rules um, and, and keep people doing what we, ought, want, what we want them to do, what we think God wants them to do. And I'm not saying that brotherhood agreements, guidelines, um, admonition, uh, being an animated speaker, those things are all are all good and have their place, but there's a there's a point here. How are you going to go about making your people change? And I think there's a problem just in, in that concept. It's not that we can't affect change, but there's a difference because we are part of a different kingdom. There's a difference in the way we go about this. And let me see if I can. Yeah, I figured out what the problem here was with dropping my slide. Let me. There we go. Um, so as part of the kingdom of heaven, we, we object to being involved in earthly governments. 
because they have a different way. They have a different method of, of affecting change. And I think sometimes as, as much as we want to, to do differently in our good and well-intentioned efforts, we end up pulling a lot of the earthly kingdoms methodology into, um, into the churches that we are trying to grow. So the fact is, is you can't make people do anything. And, and God doesn't even do this. God doesn't come in and make people um, change, live like Jesus. He doesn't, even in his word, he doesn't spell all that stuff out because there's a root that things need to grow out of. So God comes and he demonstrates true, true humanness through Jesus. And he makes people aware of the choices they need to make of the destiny of, of the two paths. He begs them to choose life. And then more or less, he allows sin to be its own punishment now and lets the wheat grow among the tares till the judgment day. Now, when you, when, when a piece of paper is, is bent and folded in half and you want to straighten it back out, you kind of have to bend it a little bit the other way in order to get it to lay flat. And that's what I'm doing here just a little bit. So don't take this and run with it and say that you can't admonish anybody that there's, but I think this is a direction that we've lacked often, or at least in my own life and many of the things that I've witnessed. Um, we try too much to somehow pen people in and to uh, where when you step back and you look at actually the way things work, however much we our intentions are otherwise, we tend to be too penalty oriented. I'm just going to say that and leave it there. And there is actually a method of of creating tremendous influence and, and change. The apostolic model of leadership, uh, this just really stood out to me recently. Uh, the Apostle Paul is always saying, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, um, and, and calling them to witness his example as he's, as he's lived among them. And then he goes on to urge them to, to change themselves. And I, I suddenly realized this, why he keeps bringing up the chain is because Paul is uh, he's holding himself and engaging Christ following at the highest level and then calling others to to follow him in that, to participate in that. And uh, so true Christian influence is living a life that others will envy, a life of rigor, a life of a high standard of godliness and integrity and character, and then um, begging others, urging others to follow. And there's places for admonition and things like that, too. Um, but I think that that is a, there's a tremendous power in that that uh, that is untapped. And often that is hard. It's long work. Your crowd is going to be small. Um, but it's better to let people walk if they're not really interested in following Jesus. Um, you will you will end up with people who are willing to lay down their life because they're convinced of the value of something. Just uh, uh, Tertullian's famous quote, the blood of the martyrs is seed, uh, builds on that concept that people see the patience of the martyrs and they inquire into how in the world these people can do this. And then right away, as soon as they find out, they're ready to jump in. And then they themselves desire martyrdom. So people will follow and give their lives for something that even doesn't make sense rationally because they see a product that they want. And that's what we want to do is we want to live in a way that people um, value that is, is, is uh, worthy of being envied in a godly way, of course. And uh, 
and that people, and then the people who follow us, the people who join us will be people who are will, willing and ready to give their lives, um, do whatever it takes in order to uh, experience that themselves. Um, God's fruit is grown from a root. So moving on here, I want to talk about some some uh, uh, some false dichotomies, um, some missing links, so to speak, that I feel like have affected our our, our effectiveness, uh, have affected my effectiveness. Um, I want to talk a little bit here about good works versus obedience. Now, I am not. This is a temporary definition to help us think about a difference. So don't go through the the, the New Testament and whenever you read good works. Um, use the definition that I'm giving them um, here. But we can do many good things without being a follower of Jesus. Um, we can do many good things without being a, a, a serious, a committed follower of Jesus. Um, uh, it, you know, it's good to dress modestly. It's good to to be um, a good business person, uh, to be generous and to, 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 to render good service for, um, for value given and things like that. Those are, those are all good things. Um, but at its core, Jesus wants a lot more than that. Um, so for a little bit here talking about this, I want to think about obedience as something a little different than just doing lots of good things. But it's a childlike submission um, to the mind of Christ that grows the whole person from the inside outward. Uh, there's a story I told when I gave this talk at Church Planners Conference. Uh, my little brother, one time we were visiting a, a place and um, there was this beautiful bowl of fruit on the, on the table. And uh, so he went over there and looked at it for a little bit and then picks up, I think it was a pear, and bit into it, and his eyes smarted, and he looked bewilderedly at the fruit and put it back in the bowl. And the reason is because the fruit was wooden. It was painted. It looked beautiful. It was some amazing-looking fruit, but it was wooden, and so when he bit into it, it hurt. And uh, that's a little bit this idea of good works versus obedience. And this happens too often. I think this is one of the, the, the besetting maladies of, of our obedience-concerned churches is we can fall into this, this problem of having a list of fundamentals, outward things that we, that we look at and evaluate ourselves or others by and feel good about. And they're good things. But then we miss a whole other level of things and, and it makes those things, then when people experience us, we look good, we look like we should be following Jesus, but then when they actually come in and experience us, they experience carnality and it, it hurts and it's, it's painful, it's frustrating, it's, and people go away disillusioned then because they don't want that kind of a product. They don't want to become that. They don't want to experience that. And so our, our good is, is evil spoken of. Among the evangelicals then, especially the 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 uh, ex Anabaptist crowd. So they, they, many of them have experienced some sort of a legalistic surface obedience. And so then there's the other extreme of, of, um, 
I'm going to share my screen here for a second again. There's the other extreme of um, that you're this this person who's this wonderful, godly person, and you have this wonderful relationship with Jesus, but there's no demonstration of that or very little in your lifestyle, especially in your your outward appearance and your pursuits and your uh, the, the kind of things that you your entertainment and all those kind of things. You're just as you, you would um, pass for a, 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 a just a decent person of this world as much as anybody. And I would like to uh, stake my life on the fact that there is a third way. Um, there is what Jesus teaches, what the apostles teach, and what God is after, what being part of the kingdom of heaven is, is uh, where we have a root of obedience, of childlike submission, and, and a heart of humility. And um, our lives grow out of that and produce fruit that does look like Jesus. It does look different from the world. And when people experience it, there's, in, there's integrity or there's a, there's a, there's no disconnect. Um, when they experience our lives, when they bite into us, so to speak, the life that appears to be there is all the way through. And, and it's convincing. It's compelling because there's, uh, there's, uh, uh, continuity um, the whole way through the experience from the outward and um, from the inward. Um, so one thing I discovered with this is that Jesus' commandments are not all on the same level. And if I can get my, there we go. Um, but there is an order from root to fruit I don't like the term a hierarchy because uh, that makes it sound like some things are more important. Uh, technically, I think that may be true, but Jesus teaches us, the apostles teach us a, a, um, a foundation from which things grow on. And that's the way that they teach off. And I've learned that in scripture, when there's a list given, often it is because there are certain things you need to start out with. An example of that is first uh, Peter uh, chapter one, or sorry, Second Peter chapter one, um, verses three through nine, where he tells us to um, to giving giving all diligence. The King James says um, to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to. Uh, I'm going to read it through. I think this is the NLT actually here. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, after this manner of building one thing upon the other, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their old sins. So this is a very obvious passage that teaches that. The Sermon on the Mount uh, is another one where Jesus uh, builds these, this same kind of foundation, or I like the term root to fruit. Um, if you are trying to build brotherly kindness, but you haven't started with faith and self-control, 
you're going to have a very difficult time achieving your goal. And so it's this type of thing where we always need to make sure the foundation is there as we build in advancing in, in more and more virtue in our lives. And so I think this is a really important thing because it's very easy to miss. It's very easy to become fundamentalist, um, the opposite of what we typically think of that. And we typically think of fundamentalism as a, a list of ideas that you subscribe to and that makes you a Christian. It's very easy to do the other thing, the, the opposite, and have a list of out externals that we subscribe to. And we say, yeah, we check the boxes. We believe in, you know, divorce and remarriage is wrong. And we believe in non-resistance. And we right, believe women should cover their heads and we should dress modestly. And we don't do this and we don't do that. So we're good. And um, while those things are all important, the the, um, the bulk of the New Testament actually deals with a lot of things that go a lot deeper than that. And uh, so that's, I believe that's extremely important to in our churches, in our personal lives to build a culture of focusing on all of Jesus commandments as important, the internal, the character, the relational commandments, as well as the external, the lifestyle, um, the physical appearance commandments and our fleshing those out. Um, That's extremely important though, to, to, to listen to all of them and to heed all of them, but to do it from a root to fruit order. Um, And too often we tend to deal with the fruit, the outward displays of things, and we don't deal with the, the heart issues. Part of the reason for that is because the heart issues are things that are grown. They're things that have to be developed. It's not something you can just simply pop, put it on. And so it takes time, it takes investment, it takes consistency. And we'll talk later about some some things that can help us in that. Um, Order of root to fruit, what difference does it make? So one, you're going to view character, attitudes, and brotherhood relationships as the foundation from which to accomplish lifestyle nonconformity. And if you are going to uh, try to accomplish nonconformity, you are first going to make sure you're putting the proper effort into your character, your attitudes, your brotherhood relationships. And then also you are not going to overlook character sins because of an outward display of nonconformity. I've seen this happen a lot. Somebody dresses very conservatively, is very supportive of a conservative outlook. And so then their gossip or their anger or things like that are overlooked and, and more or less excused. It's like, yeah, well, we know it's not a good thing, but you know, they're they're such a good person. Well, sorry, I think that's maybe looking at things backwards. Um, and and this really takes a toll on our young people then uh, when they see uh, carnality being defended because it's a, a certain kind of carnality. One th- big disclaimer I want to give on this is, is th- there's this mentality out there that, that uh, well, let's just pick on the head covering thing. Um, so if a woman is, is, is being um, domineering and, and she's a gossip and whatever that, she, you know, she's, it'd be better if she didn't wear her, her, her covering um, or like that's the last thing she should be concerned about. And so, um, you know, there's people who, go around and they're these wonderful loving people, but they don't finish with the, with the, uh, the obedience that Jesus teaches us. And that's, that's a problem in itself. Jesus never told the Pharisees to stop doing the good things they were doing 
because they were rotten at the core. He said, these things ought you to have done, but not to leave the other undone. He said, you've, you've, you're in doing these other things, you've overlooked the weightier matter, matters of the law, like um, equality and mercy and the love of God. So that's how we want to look at this one. Be careful. We don't fall in that ditch uh, of saying, well, it's, you know, it's okay that I'm neglecting these um, outward obediences that Jesus taught us um, because I'm dealing with my character. Uh, that's, that's a falsehood. It's a lie. It's a, uh, it's a reaction that's going to yield its own set of, of bad fruit. So because of this, um, these kind of things, uh, I want to look at some core values of our church culture. We didn't have a men's meeting and get together, and make this list. I just actually fairly quickly and thinking over it, just pulled together a few things. This is not exhaustive, but just a few things. Um, I'm going to share my screen here again for a second. Uh, one is that we are here to live out the faith once delivered by Jesus' 12 apostles. We believe that the faith was once delivered. There was a deposit of truth and of life change that Jesus came to accomplish that was once delivered and lived out by the church. And we are not here to try to invent some new thing or come up with some new interpretation, but to discover and live out in our world of what was once delivered. Um, each individual is here to purposefully, strategically, in other words, that means we have a plan of action and we're carrying it out to grow their character. Um, holistic obedience is not optional. So neither neglecting the, the character traits that scripture teaches us, nor the outward obedience is neither of those, neglecting either of those is acceptable. Um, but it's important to obey all Jesus teachings from a root to fruit order. And that the church is a group of people living together as a renewed family. Um, so those are core values. And so there's things that we do to, to live that out, to make that a physical reality. So just a reminder again, um, the three points of how we create culture. We communicate our values then. We create a plan to incarnate our values, to make them a physical reality. And then we lead out in that. So four components that have impacted our church culture. One is the historic faith lens, and I'm going to unpack these here um, shortly. A thorough onboarding process, discipleship groups, and a physical reality to being part of the body. I'll read those again. The historic faith lens, thorough onboarding process and uh, discipleship groups and a physical reality to being part of the body. One, the historic faith lens. What we mean by that is, uh, is interpreting scripture through the eyes of the apostles and those who were mentored by the apostles, the Antonicene church um, before the, the turning point and the, the denigration of things that uh, came to a head around the time of Constantine. Um, we all have a lens through which we interpret scripture. Um, Look at the authors that you read, the books on your shelves and they're sitting around in your homes, the devotional books you read. You are reading scripture through those lenses and whatever theological uh, viewpoints and practices that they have and that they uphold is important and they want to defend. So 
Um, and those are being passed on to you. And I feel like this has been a real Achilles heel to conservative Anabaptists. We have many good concerns and many good practices that are part of our culture, but we have started listening to teaching and theology without discernment and without being rooted. And um, there's teaching leaking in that undermines the importance of good works, of obedience uh, as part of our salvation and things like that. So we all have a lens through which we interpret scripture. The question is, what is your lens? Um, to be completely unbiased in your approach to scripture is almost impossible for someone who's been raised as a Christian. You have a bias because there was there's some worldview, some influence that guided you in your interpretation. The question is, what is that? Is it a uh, is it is the uh, the interpretation that you have as you read scripture? Is that what was meant by the authors? Went by the apostles um, as they spoke Jesus' words. Um, share my screen again for a second. I think this is just a great picture to help us think about this. Uh, here is this guy. He is getting ready. He's looking at the landscape, and he doesn't realize. He thinks he's being unbiased, but he doesn't realize he's looking through all these different lenses. And so often when we read um, secular, I shouldn't say secular, evangelical, uh, different authors, and they, they may even be sometimes Anabaptist writers um, who aren't grounded in the historic faith, the faith that was once handed down by the apostles before it degenerated. Um, we're reading, what, what lenses are, what, whose viewpoints are we reading scripture through and then applying or misapplying it because of that? Uh, the, for those of you who are listening, the guy has stacked several pairs of sunglasses and on them are the names of different authors such as Augustine, um, Calvin, Bunyan, Piper, Spurgeon, Sproul, or Sproul uh, no insult to, um, to talk, any of those names or all of them, but uh, it makes a difference because the ideas have consequences and um, they lead to um, fruit in our, in our lives and our churches or the lack of it. Um, the faith was once delivered to the saints by the apostles. The pre-Nicene church demonstrated the fruits of unity and salty obedience, obedience that stood out and, and um, massively impacted the world that they lived in. Um, and Jesus said those two things would be what identified true followers uh, of him. I think my logic on this is pretty simple. If something is now that was not in the beginning, if it is now, but it wasn't in the beginning, then therefore it is new. If it's new, it was not original. If it was not original, then it is a fabrication. It has been made up and therefore it is false. So I think that's important when we think of how we are understanding scriptures. Is it what was originally understood when the apostles spoke Jesus' words. And therefore, then, is it producing the life that originally those words produced? Uh, just a couple quick things about those. There's misunderstandings uh, about this when we talk about using the Antonicene writings. Uh, Antonicene just means before Nicaea, Council of Nicaea in 325 
same time as Constantine takeover. Um, we use it as an interpretive lens. So we don't use it as scripture, but we listen to their interpretation um, as a cumulative voice. So when they, there's, there's all of them or many of them run off on tangents, just like any human does. But when they all say a certain thing about what scripture means, then we take that as that's the proper way to understand that. And we would submit our doctrine um, to that just as we would a group of elders who had been mentored by the apostles if they were sitting in our midst. Their practices often are helpful as well. Um, so if they, um, if they say that, for example, they encourage fasting two days a week or whatever, and Jesus talks a lot about the importance of fasting, then maybe something like that's helpful. Maybe it's a practice in, uh, that has been lost and will make a difference for us if we do that. I personally have found, we have found as a group that scripture makes a whole lot more sense and becomes very simple um, learning to read it through the eyes of the, uh, the pre-Nicene church. Not more easy, but a lot more simple and effective. So this has been a real unifying um, thing for us um, because we submit to that, that authoritative voice of the cumulative voice of the early church. Um, they had an emphasis on obedience in all things, producing good fruit from a root to fruit order um, and an emphasis on unity. Those things are, are important and uh, challenging to us as we as we follow that. So that was the first one. The first uh, point there, uh, the historic faith lens. The second one is a thorough onboarding process. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because this is something that gets adapted but we, we spend quite a bit of time, have some pretty extensive discussions with people who want to join us because we want to find out, um, are we a good fit for them and are they a good fit for us? Um, so we have uh, a list that's always always growing of, of topics to talk about, find out what their journey has entailed, um, what their trajectory is, and also to make sure that they understand um, our perspective, what our goal is in living out the historic faith. Um, this isn't a checklist of dogmas, like a certain batch of things that you have to make sure you agree to. And if you don't agree to one thing, then that's, you know, you're out. Um, but it's a conversation to uh, to help us get to know them, help um, them get to know us and find out what things are in their lives, uh, especially character issues that uh, they may be bringing from their past that need, need help. And also uh, ways that they may be able to be a help to us. Um, so we don't because that we don't push people to become members. Um, and, and there's been a few people who have been a little frustrated with how long it took, but we would rather take the time and get to know them, make sure they understand um, who we are and where we're going, and so that um, so that we start out on a platform for things to work out well. Going back to the marriage uh, illustration there of the husband and wife trying to figure out how to change each other, that's part of the solution to that is starting out with a good person and and um we call that courtship a time of of getting to know each other and finding out is this uh is this a good fit is this person uh, as much as anything is it a good uh can we work through things together not so much that we necessarily always think alike about things
So some things we talk, we go through is personal testimony, the conversion, their experience of God's love, death to self. Have they been baptized? Um, are they currently living a life of, of abiding in the vine, um, of, of growth, demonstrating the fruit of the spirit? What are their, what's their church experience, positives and negatives in that? Um, are there unresolved issues? Is there bitterness? Um, things like that. Are there uh, particular needs? I'd hate to use the term hurts, but things that are particular vulnerabilities because of their church experience that we as a church can help with um, and, uh, and also help them walk through resolving. Uh, family and marriage relationships. Um, how well are things working? Are they, they feel like they have traction with helping their children to grow? Is their, is their marriage working well? What's their view of, of marriage? What's their view of raising children? Uh, what's their view of the headship order? Things like that. What's their view of divorce and remarriage? Um, uh, what's their view of church? When in joining a church or becoming part of a church, what is their view of church? Do they want to join a community that works together closely to demonstrate Jesus' way? Or is it uh, they want a place that's gives them more freedom to dress the way they want to, or um, are they interested more in just a service to attend, you know, once a week to you know, help keep them from getting into sin and keep them on the straight and narrow, but not a lot more commitment than that. What's their view of community and church life and brotherhood? Um, what's their view of submission to a brotherhood um, and trust? Um, what's their view of unity versus uniformity? So being unified, even though we're not all the same, which I believe is what Jesus taught, what Jesus came to create. Um, and how are we going to fight for that? Um, preferring one another, being uh, slow to be offended, quick to forgive. Um, some things I've had a tremendous amount to learn about that. Are you willing to not push your agenda on others, whether it's something about health or whether it's um, a ministry that you feel like is important? Um, are you are you willing to live as an example? Are you even willing to lay down things that you feel like are important, not obedience issues, but model them yourself, but not press them on others? Are you uh, willing to place an equal importance on all of Jesus' commandments from a root to fruit order? So starting out with a good fit is definitely a very helpful thing in um, developing a healthy church culture. The third point is uh, discipleship groups. People use the term accountability groups, and I think I'm um, not to pick apart words, but um, that uh, that uh, those can fall into this this rut again of trying to force people, trying to push people, trying to penalize people with some sort of guilt um, into change, and that just doesn't. It may produce some short term fruit, but it's not going to do do nearly as well as a an atmosphere of discipleship. And I'll, I'll um, explain a little bit more about that. Um, it's really easy for us to fall into. I've, I've lived this way way too much of my life. And I've heard so many others um, live the miserable cycle. I call it um, where we preach these powerful messages. We listen to these powerful messages and we go home and say, wow, did not our hearts burn within us? You know, 
And, oh, I just, I really need to change. I, God really spoke to me. But then two years down the road, are we, are we any different? It's so easy to live that way and just go on and on. And scripture tells us to join together, to exhort one another daily. And so the more we can flesh that out in our church culture and make that a, an actual a physical reality in our lives, uh, the more I think we're going to experience the power uh, of change in our lives. Do you believe that you can change? Um, this is important. I have talked to people where they said, you know, I, I'm just this way and I, I can't change. You know, I'm impatient or I have a problem with anger. Or, you know, I just it's just kind of the way I am. And it's, you know, sorry. But uh, and 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 some of those have been church leaders. Um, and that's then is, is it any wonder that, you know, they don't see their young people change or don't have respect, don't have influence among them. And. So first of all, do you believe that you can change? You can grow. You can continually through your life. You can always be progressing and taking on new territory and growing in your character and um, in your abilities to function with others and to, to lead and things like that. And then do you know how to accomplish change? Do you know how to gr how to grow and to get from from A to B and to C? Uh, the simplest way to kill influence is a sanctioned lack of discipline. I already talked about that where we in some form, some way in our life, there's there's a lack of discipline, a lack of, of maturity um, that's godly. And we say, well, you know, it's, it's okay. Or, or in our church, it's just okay to, to um, for the older people to be like this. Um, but the young people now, their carnality, it needs to, their lack of discipline, it needs to change. Um, there's fewer, fewer quicker ways to provoke people to anger than that. And they always have uh, a choice in that. But um, the responsibility of the stumbling block lies with us. So discipleship is a life of discipline as a result of admiration and aspiration to be like someone for us. That's Jesus. And then also godly examples. Um, discipleship is something one must be doing to lead another in it. So it's something you engage in yourself. You pour yourself into you pursue and encourage others to join you in that. It's not something you can force. You can't make someone become a disciple. So some guiding frameworks to our, our discipleship groups is a leading by example. So this is not something that you can go home. I, I hear this sometimes and I cringe, you know, oh, we need to get all of our brotherhood onto this. And, and maybe people mean, well, and if you've said that, I'm not meaning to criticize, but it concerns me sometimes because if you're doing that, you're probably not going to get the kind of results you want. It's not something you can make ever take home, hand out a piece of paper and say, guys, we're all going to do this. Um, it's something you do by pursuing it yourself. You go home to your brotherhood and you start making yourself accountable. You set high goals for yourself. You call out sin. You call out carnality. You call out laziness in your life. And you set goals for yourself. You ask, you, you ask for prayer and, and let the change in you inspire others to follow you. And then you will have people who it's actually productive because they're actually, they're willing to give their lives for something and they're not being pushed into it. It's not a shame. It's not a shame thing. Um, it's a, a, a group of people who are urging each other to grow and to change. Um, so lead by example, people value what they see and desire to join. It's self-evaluated and self-motivated. So nobody's going to come around and say, um, you know, you didn't uh, do well with that or especially in our meetings. I think um, admonition 
and correction, things like that is best done one-on-one. Um, and feedback, um, teaching, things like that, mentoring is, is best done when it's asked for. When someone says, hey, I want help with this, rather than being um, pushed on to someone. Um, it also teaches evaluation of life in terms of values being lived out. So we just were discussing here recently some of our, our brotherhood agreements about entertainment and how much should we spell out in there. And one of the younger brethren actually said, he said, discipleship is taking care of that for me because there's no way we can spell out in the standard uh, all, all the things that we should and shouldn't be looking at. But he said, when I answered to my brothers, if I, if I looked at anything that was foolish or worldly this week, in addition to being immoral, you know, that's another, another topic, but just I'm evaluating that level of my life by wasting time. Um, like now I'm learning to put Jesus' mind into this and to let it to rule, rule this area of my life. And there's just tremendous power in things, simple things like humbling yourself with your brethren and confessing, tremendous power in that, in overcoming. Um, things like that uh, just are, are untapped sources of, of power um, that, that we miss out on, that Jesus and the apostles talk a lot about. Um, it helps us deal with our attitudes, helps us deal with, are we growing? Are we um, leading and uh, uh, nourishing our relationships like we ought? We meet weekly. Um, we have uh, some questions we agree on. These are not uh, comprehensive. There's no way to do that. I would encourage you not to try to. Um, but some things, some things about core Christian disciplines like prayer, Bible reading, fasting, and then some some key issues that we want to pay attention to in our lives. And then we all we we share a summary every week, particular issues and victories, set some goals, and um, and have prayer uh, time together. Generally, more or less the way our meetings go. Um, our, the questions currently, the group that I'm in, um, the questions we use are, um, have you been faithful in the word, prayer, and fasting this week? Did you plant seeds of the kingdom in a mainstream believer or unbeliever? Did you encourage or help out a church member or other believer just to try and make a, a difference between we're not just nurturing and helping our church grow, but we are also reaching out to those who are not part of a obedient church or flat out unbelievers. Um, you spend quality time with your earthly and spiritual families. Have you looked at anything pornographic or worldly or foolish this week? Is there any sin you would like to confess? This is an opportunity where people can look at their own besetting sins, issues in their life and bring them up. Things that the questions aren't touching on. Um, have you been struggling with your carnality or attitudes in some areas? Is there a brother that you need to take care of something with? Don't say who, but um, take this opportunity to say, yes, there's someone I remember that someone has something against me or I have something against them to take care of that. Leave your gift at the altar and take care of that. Um, and then with some goal setting, how did you do with your goal for last week? Set a goal for this week and also some, some longer term goals beyond week. Um, so that's more or less the format, the questions that we, we go over. Um, Again, just to, I just really want to underscore, this is not something you can take home and push on people, but it's something you you pursue. Like Paul, you you engage Christ, following Christ at the highest level, um, even to bonds as, as he did. And then you urge others to join you in your enthusiasm, in your joy, in participating, in living out God's, um, God's revolution. 
Um, people have asked, what about for the ladies? You know, we talk about the men. That's something that's still growing. And, and that's a, a place where especially this thing of not pushing it on people is, is tremendously important. You can't, it doesn't, it doesn't work well for ladies to just divide them up in groups and say, you're going to meet a certain place, a certain time. And here's the questions you're going to answer. Um, this, it needs to grow more organically. And it's the kind of thing that is growing in our churches. Ladies simply get together to pray and then begin to share about their lives and um, exhort one another and um, open their lives together and um, help each other to, to walk like Jesus and to take steps forward and achieve, achieve growth in their lives. The last point there is a, a, a physical reality to being part of the body. And really, this is why everything else that I've said this morning matters is because we believe that the church is uh, being part of the body is a physical reality to be lived out together as a group demonstrating Jesus way. Um, in scripture, so often the you and the ye are, are it's plural. It's, it's all of us together because of each of us. And our Christianity of today is, has tended to split that apart and um, focus on the person. And, and that's good because we can't ride on the shirt tails of others. But my personal testimony is extremely paltry if I am not, if that is not part of the testimony of a group of a community living out Jesus way. Um, we are created in Christ Jesus as a group. This is from Ephesians 2, to become a living temple, displaying incredible wisdom of God to everyone and everything. And so that's why my personal life matters is because I need to be growing in Christ so that together with the group, we can display a, a mature uh, demonstration of Jesus. This is why unity is so important and, and unity is held up as such a, a, um, a central and a high priority in working out so many things. Uh, a commandment that's not to be violated um, while trying to obey other commandments. Um, we need to not only get along, but I need to enjoy my brother and love and serve and promote him, even though he has an opinion or practice that's different than mine. I'm not, I'm not talking about disobediences, but I model, if I, if I feel like people should be dressing a certain way that's higher than than what they are, I lead out and be an example, and I lead out with, in that with joy. And, and yes, I, I share and, I, and I, I teach and I explain, I give a reason for the hope that's in me um, in those things. But um, again, this is, we, we have brotherhood agreements that people might say, call them standards. So there are, there are parameters that our church draws a line on, on dress that probably some of your churches don't. So I'm not saying that we don't have any of that, but there's, this, is a, this is a high priority and a value that we build our culture on. We, we, we work hard to incarnate in our lives. Um, unity is not sameness. It's centered diversity. It's where we blend the differences that we have around Christ. And so there are things that we do that we're all different, but we're all the same. So for example, trees, deciduous trees are all different. You have oaks and maples and um, you have fruit trees. Um, but they all have leaves. They all have bark. They all bear a seed, um, things like that. And so um, we need to take care of that in the body of Christ that we, if we feel like something should be different, we lead out with joy in a rigorous demonstration of that and be careful that we don't try to make everybody the same as us necessarily. 
That's Jesus' way to influence. We also defend unity because we need the gifts and perspectives of others. So it's important that we filter the people coming in to people who have those same values and same um, are willing to to um, lead out in incarnating them. So again, the four components that I've gone over that have impacted our church culture, the historic faith lens, um, reading scripture through the eyes of the men who were mentored by the apostles, a thorough onboarding process. So having some deep, thorough conversations so people understand who we are and we understand who they are and we start off on a good platform of working together. Um, discipleship groups to help us to continue to grow um, in a root to fruit order in our character and in our, our lives. And then the physical reality of being part of the body, um, having a focus and putting effort into and trying to keep a trajectory of spending time together and um, preserving unity so that we together as a group can demonstrate Jesus way. Part of the reason I'm excited about this is because I've seen so much change in my own life and in, in our brotherhood. Um, I've seen things change in people and um, influence that uh, I only dreamed possible. And I'm not saying that we're by any means perfect. We have a lot of discussions on how we can grow where we need to keep growing and where we need to watch out or we're going to um, lose uh, the blessings that we've been able to experience. But uh, there's a tremendous speed to a simple, straightforward obedience and developing a, a healthy uh, culture around a root to fruit um, demonstration of Jesus, what Jesus taught. So I think with that, I'm going to uh, I'm going to close and open it up for uh, some Q&A here. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Bill, for sharing in this way and uh, for diving into this topic. I really <clears throat> enjoyed it. I uh, appreciated your thoughts on unity there, um, how it, it's around Christ and, and it's not that we all think exactly alike. And, and sometimes it feels maybe like our Anabaptist circles, even though we're against the use of force, we we uh, try to get to as close to it as we can in trying to make everybody think just like I do. And and what I love about diversity though is that it it allows it allows us to learn from each other and and it, it's almost spiritual pride maybe to say, look, I've got to figure it out and we've all got to think like I do and and that kind of thinking. We know that's created some toxic uh, brotherhood. So yeah, I really appreciated the the thoughts on unity as well as your root to fruit reference. You kept mentioning that. That was that was really good. And uh, uh, we need to be able to bear that fruit. And it's not wooden and it doesn't hurt when we bite into it. It needs to have the root. It needs to have the foundation laid. So anyway, um, there's a couple of questions that were directed to me <clears throat> directly on the chat here. And uh, regarding your discipleship groups, um, so what size typically <clears throat> do you have for a discipleship group? And, and how do you go about forming these normally? Yeah, that's really good. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so there's only a certain level of which you can really know each other well. You can, uh, 
six is max. We we three is okay. Four is probably about where we'd start out. Uh, most of our groups, I think, have four or five. Six would be would be definitely be max. And and that's this whole thing about forming these groups. So in our church, that's the way it began is probably six, seven years ago is some of the men just began getting together Saturday mornings to pray together. And and out of that and a desire to grow and beginning to open up and sh- sh- share together, invest in their concern for for the growth of the kingdom in their personal lives and, and around them. That's how this that's how this grew. Um, uh, and, and so it is something that now is part of our culture. And if you're going to join our church and not do that, it's kind of like, so why are you joining? But it's not something that's mandated. <laughs> that makes any sense. But uh, that's yeah. kind of how we started. And that, that's how I would encourage people to start is, is don't take it home and try to put everybody in it. But mm-hmm. yeah, just start getting together and praying and, and opening yourself. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, I agree with that. Um, I'm part of a, a small group myself discipleship group and there's four of us part of it and uh yeah very similar we uh it's kind of like church you invite people to join but you don't want to push it on them you want them to be able to open up of the inner life on their own and not feel forced to and yeah it's it's been good so thanks for sharing that it's helpful to share these ideas with each other um yeah so now i'll just open it up to anyone else here um to uh share comment or question i can't ladies do these discipleship groups what's keeping them from doing it um i'm not a married man so i'm not going to say too much i'm working on it but uh ladies just are a little a little more um complex than that uh it, it yeah I'll, i'm gonna let one of you married guys explain that a little better but it's not that they can't it just takes a little it, you has to be gone about in a little different way so um I'll, I'll share a little bit our congregation what we've done we do a lot of the same things that you do there brother bill um and uh but twice a month we um in an evening we men do child care and our our sisters get together for these discipleship groups so it's in the evening and that happens twice twice a month at our congregation um which has been a real blessing to see the to see that happening and to see sisters i mean obviously i'm not part of it but i hear about it um but i know that there's sisters leading sisters and discipling and and i think it's a it's been a real blessing in our congregation. Wes, I see you're on here. If you got a chance, do you want to chime in here and uh, say a little bit about it? Um, I can say a little bit. I don't know if you can hear me all right. Um, so that, that is a very good question. Uh, it's not that ladies can't have those discipleship groups. But uh, the first thing is with, so a lot of our, our women are homeschooling and the ones that aren't, there's a bunch of them that have children. And so to get together on a Saturday morning isn't really doable or even during the week for a lot of them, it's not. So to find a time where they can get together like that is difficult. 
Um, so there's that aspect of it. My wife is part of a group, just uh, I think it's three of them, and they get together Monday mornings. It's all younger women that don't have children in school yet. So that's what works for them. <clears throat> They've really been enjoying that. Um, my experience with my wife and then also with that observing other women is that it's a little bit more difficult to just put them in a group and say, now share your life with these other women. <laughs> um, I've noticed that they seem to be a little bit more, they, they feel more comfortable with certain people. Um, they're different. And I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but I think it's something that can be done, should be done, but we can't just like Bill said, um, said, you know what, we're going to, make our women do this and we're just going to sign them groups and, and hope it works out. Cause it's proven to not work out that way. So we're, that is something we're trying to figure out. Um, cause we, it is an important thing. Um, we just haven't figured out all the, all the good ways to do it. So if you have bright ideas, um, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Wes. There's another thanks. question that comes up is what about young people? And I'll just share it. There's one young father in our church has some, several teenagers, and um, he started doing this with his um, teenagers, getting together and going over some things once a week. Um, right now, actually, they are um, he with his teenagers are are doing a YouTube fast. They're just not watching any any videos for a month, um, trying to help them learn this this thing of evaluating their lives, setting goals, and growing in discipline. Very good. Yeah, I think uh, the sum of some of this discussion on for the ladies, it, it's probably something that they need to feel their own way with their own schedule or busyness. And it's up to us men to pitch in and help to allow it to happen, take care of the children. So we need to do our part for them. Yeah. And uh, something that my wife has found very uh, inspiring and helpful too for her was a small group of them got together and, and went through a book and uh, discussed what they were reading and uh, yeah, just had a good time of sharing. So that's another way to do it too. Just yeah, allow them to have some space to connect and share in each other's inner lives. Yeah, I think that's the core of it is it's just going to look a little different. They may not necessarily have a list of questions. That may not be the backbone of their time together. Um, and but, but it is something that's a priority that we work together, we challenge each other, we help each other grow, we open to each other. And so just learning to flesh that out. And for them, it's looking a little different. It's, it's uh, uh, I would say it's something that's happening, um, but it's, we haven't gotten it figured out quite as well as I shouldn't say figured out. Um, it's not quite as well, well far along as, as it is for, for our men. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anybody else have further comment or question? Yes, I, uh, I have two questions here for you, Bill. Appreciated what you shared. And I listened to your talk at the uh, church planners as well. So it was good to hear, hear this again. Um, my first question would be, what would you say are maybe some of the, you talked about having the historic faith lens. Um, 
what are some of the differences between your typical conservative Anabaptist church versus, which has many things in, in common, but not everything, versus the historic faith lens? You said you had a lot of background in in a lot of Anabaptist churches. So what are some of the key differences there? And then second question would be, <clears throat> was the growth that came in your church, was that because of the, the uh, holding together with the uh, historic faith lens, or was it when you began to define and incarnate your values, is that when you began to see the growth in the church? Yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, that'll be another hour. <laughs> no, I don't have that much time, but so one, just off the bat, one, one, I would say the difference between probably a lot of Anabaptist churches and a church that uses the historic faith lens is going to be their view of good works. And, and, and I may kick a can of worms open here, but, uh, Isaiah 64, all our righteousnesses as filthy rags, like, I hear that quoted all the time. And, and I used to quote it myself, but like that passage is not saying that our good works, our obediences are not acceptable and, and appreciated by God. And, and that's something that you will hear, especially when somebody tries to share, say, what is the gospel? Like that's one of the foundational verses used that we can't do anything good enough to please God. And, and, and that's so, so then we, we're trying to teach people that obedience is important in all this, but then we teach that as our foundation. And so it's only because uh, I can't get into the whole thing, but like we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot that yes, we, we can't. Uh, okay. So we're not perfect and we don't sit around in pride as a sense, but God is pleased with our good works as children. Our obedience is, is a pleasure to him. It's a sweet smelling savor. It's important. It's the purpose that we are, are ransomed from sin. Um, is is to to be a people who stand out because we're zealous of, of good work. So that, that's that's just one thing right there. I, I hear a lot now that uh, I've had the glasses jerked off of me. Like um, that, that that's that's just one illustration there. I feel like has helped us us a lot. Is a high priority and a high value on obedience um, because of that. Um, so I, I the second question in about when did it start? I'm not sure. Sometimes we get into the discussion which came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, I would say, though, that the historic faith rooting has has brought a lot of that because it led us to realize that obedience is important and obedience to all Jesus commands and that unity and um, forgiveness, not being offended quickly, not being offended at all, not allowing things my brothers do to push me away, um, just things like that is what is just like that's that's gospel 101 in the um in the eyes of the the, the pre-nicene church and it's helped us to realize wow so you know for example it says do all things without murmuring and disputings and it's like oh that actually means that like that's a high priority that we don't argue and complain so uh, that makes makes some difference to that i'm not saying it's the beginning of everything but that definitely has been a significant player. It also has unified us because we have a, a variety of backgrounds. Uh, almost half our congregation was at least spent at least part of their life outside Anabaptist circles. And so that has been a unifying effect because we all respect that cumulative voice as if it was a group of elders sitting among us saying, this is what Jesus and the apostles taught. And so it, it just brings a, a authority. And when any of us gets up and preaches, you're 
pretty much, I feel fairly comfortable on most any issue. You sit and ask any of the brothers in our church who are 20, 21 and over, really, you're going to get more or less the same answer. Very good. All right. Well, um, we're getting to 7.30 here. Anybody else have a question yet? We'll uh, allow for a question or two, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I do. Uh, can you hear me? I'm on the phone. Yeah, I can. Yes, hear. we can. Great. I've never gotten a chance to ask a question before, but I've enjoyed uh, listening in silence. And today I was out for a jog while I was listening. So really appreciate the chance to join. Um, my name is Ben Stolzfus. I, I live in Wilkesbury, PA. And so mm-hmm. we're a 10-year-old church plant. And so I'm very interested in Bill's uh, subject. Actually, if I had to pitch, pick a subject in discussing church, um, discussing church culture is probably the thing that excites me the most. And so I'm really grateful. Really enjoyed your talk this morning, Bill. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Um, I like, I'm excited about the, the movement and some of the, the ways you discussed um, growing as a church this morning. So thank you. Um, yeah. My question is I've heard frequently, and this is, this is getting back to something you hit on a fair amount, but I've heard frequently the question asked when we talk about changing the way that we look at a church discipline, which I feel like for our, our Anabaptist churches to really succeed and thrive, um, there needs to be some adjustment there and uh, some more, maybe perhaps even some more flexibility on an ongoing basis rather than having particular guidelines that last um, for decades and decades. Uh, not that the values change, I'm just speaking particularly of the applications. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I've heard it said that, okay, well, if a church doesn't have a written set of guidelines, well, then what's to keep them from changing? And one of the most insightful comments I heard about that question um, was by John Koblenz. He said that we need to be very careful not to anchor our security anywhere except in Jesus. And so he more or less um, suggested that guidelines are helpful, but um, we, we need to be careful what we look to guidelines for. I'd be interested in hearing your response to that question as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a sticky subject. So first of all, I would say that those are things that grow out of this root, this root of brother unity and of respect for one another and uh, calling out anger and, and grudges and contention just as much as we would call out pornography. Mm-hmm. Uh, until, until we start doing that personally for ourselves and creating a culture by that, creating a culture of, of that kind of integrity in our brotherhood, we are we're not going to be able to influence our church in that kind of uh, for that kind of journey, uh, not in a healthy way. So that, first of all, again, this is the, the it's the root. It's the, the, the seedbed. It's the culture to unify cultures that Jesus teaches us. Um, that's the first thing I would say. I, I am very slow to encourage churches to dismantle their their practice traditions just because of what I've seen happen with that. I have made a lot of changes over my life. I, I, I grew up in a very conservative setting. We wouldn't have worn white shirts. We would have worn only long sleeve shirts. We had to wear a hat all the time, you know, things like that. So I'm not saying we can't change 
our church does have a goal of trying to not make um, the bar any higher than we really have to for people coming in from the outside. But at the same time, so my question is, again, is this what I started out with is, so what do you think of when you think of Jesus? And when we make the statement that we need to, our, our anchor, or our security needs to be in Jesus. Are you talking about salvation from sin, that your sin has been taken care of, so you're no longer guilty before God? Or are you talking about that, that God's way of living was lived out in human form? And that is for us to follow him in, in making that a physical reality today. Um, yeah, there's so much could get said about that. I think it's a journey to be taken carefully. Um, I think it can be important. Um, I, I feel like if I was asked to talk on that on church culture, I probably would talk to a very small group. I just don't, I'm 42, but I, I, I feel like that's something that needs some, some wisdom of some older men in, uh, in giving a lot of guidance in how to go about that and what parameters are, uh, are helpful there. I don't think though, to do this, that our, the reason we're not effective is because, or let me rephrase that. It's not helpful to say the reason we're not being effective at reaching the world is because we look too conservative. And that may have some influence. It's usually because our brotherhood is not something that people value highly enough. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you for speaking to that. Um, and uh, yeah, the avoiding both the fundamentalism of, of dogma and the fundamentalism of, I guess you could say, practice that we've been about to sometimes tend toward. I don't, I, yeah. I agree with you and I appreciate that you're not trying to um, push away, uh, dismantle the entire system before rebuilding, I think. Even Jesus talks about uh, honoring the traditions in order to um, to build. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for speaking to that. Very well. Well, um, we are at seven thirty-seven. Uh, we should wrap this up, but uh, uh, it's been great, great talk, that- great discussion. Can I make Obviously. one comment here? Yes. Can I make one comment closing? So I, one thing that concerns me is I feel like sometimes people begin lifting up our church as a model, like we've got it. And that, that is not true. There are some very good things happening. I'm incredibly thankful for that personally, because I, I've been at some very dismal places. But don't so much come and try to figure out how we're doing things and replicate that. You're not going to, it's not going to happen. But I might, if I can say one thing, Go home and start simply trying to follow Jesus in the simple things he says everywhere. And I think you will mm-hmm. find, um, not lightly said, miracles happen. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. That's a very good uh, point to make. Uh, we need to all follow Jesus. And and we can help each other do that better. But, yeah, let's keep our focus on living like Christ each day. Well, uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, why don't we uh, close with uh, prayer yet? Bill, would you lead us in a closing prayer uh, before we uh, part? Father, thank you for uh, Jesus, that he came to deliver us from the bondage of sin and to purify us to become people who are zealous of good works of living like you and that he modeled this for us. And um, thank you for godly examples in the past and in the present and help us, Lord, to um, lay aside 
the weights and the sins that so easily um, drags us down and to, um, to, to be willing to um, do the hard work of holding ourselves to the, the whole of your commandments and letting you change us from root to, to the outward. Um, and, uh, and uh, to view following you and church as us giving our lives to participate in a, a corporate, a, a body, a group demonstration of your way. Um, and we pray this all because we desire that your kingdom could come and your will could be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Um, and first of all, in us, in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this morning and uh, God bless your day. In two weeks, we, we won't be meeting um, here on Zoom. Uh, there'll be no meeting because of the uh, Kingdom Fellowship Week. Sorry, Kingdom Fellowship Weekend happening in uh, uh, Roxbury, Pennsylvania. So um, you can tune into that and we'll be sharing details of that on our website and on our chat groups. So uh, the next meeting here will be uh, in September, September 9, the first Great Commission. So uh, we'll look forward to that. And uh, um, yeah, God bless your day, everyone. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.